and welcome to the Dallas Soccer Show Happy Hour Edition. I'm Dustin Nation, and today we're going to try something new in light of pretty much the whole world shutting down around us and MLS being on hold. We thought it'd be a good time to catch up with some local soccer personalities, just kick back, throw back our specialty craft beer of choice, and uh, just take our mind off of things for a little bit with the happy hour. Uh, joining me as usual is Jonathan Ross. How's it going, Jonathan? It's going, it's going pretty good. I, I, I feel bad because uh, I, I started with a Bloody Mary. The craft beer is in the fridge as backup, though, but yeah, I wanted to mix it up today. Well, now you made me a liar. But, but we do have drinking rules, right? So if anybody says the word corona, COVID, or virus, you have to take a shot, right? Isn't that, uh, isn't that how it works? Done. Done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and taking a break from his recent home culinary exploits on, mm. on loan to us from his dog, Timu, columnist, FC Dallas TV analyst, Ooh. Steve Davis. Steve, uh, you got enough of that food that you've been making to go around? Uh, man, me and the dog just uh, just put a little snack because uh, dinner's later. Well, we appreciate you pushing it off. So, um, well, what what have you guys been up to uh, with the Corona shutdown? Can I ask uh, real drink. quick? Uh, yeah. Is this did, nobody told me whether I was supposed to wear pants or not? So I didn't. Is that okay? Uh, I mean, listen, just don't back up. Yeah, it's based, it's, it's all based good on call. camera <laughs> angle. So as long as long good as call. as long as you're good. Oh. And we, we Somebody have another. has just joined us. What's going on, Mr. Falwell? Can you hear us? We'll figure out how to take himself off mute in a minute. Oh, here, I'll go ahead and do it for him. Nope, he doesn't have a, a mic hooked up. He does. It's right there on the side of his fancy earphones. <laughs> well, Zoom doesn't think he does. Mm. <laughs> God, Falwell, if you can hear us, blink twice, buddy. <laughs> Oh, there he is. I think we got him. All right. Hi. Howdy. Hey, welcome. Hi, can you hear me? We can. All right. Nice. I thought that uh, I was going to have to go uh, sans headset. Does the headset sound okay? Yeah, it sounds good. Loud and clear. Nice. nice. You, you've already, you've already uh, missed the rules of the, of the live pod, though. So we, 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 you, have, you have to have a beer in hand. They did say Bloody Mary's okay. And what about uh, a, a margarita from Glorious? That, that'll work, yes. Oh, hello, I've Jewel. already I've already assessed that pants are optional. So, do you want to say hi, Jewel? Whatever. Yeah, Jewel, do you want to say hello? <laughs> nah. Hi, oh. how are you, Jewel? Yeah, they saw Dad was doing something, so they wanted to get involved. How are you guys tonight? Doing great. Doing good. Good. Doing good. good. What's up, Dustin? You've been. What's up, Steve? Good to see you. Hey, buddy. You too. Good to see you too, John Arnold. What's up, hey, John? How you gentlemen doing? Fantastic, John. Cool. All, All is right. good, John. If you are watching this live, you can join the conversation with us. Um, just DM me on Twitter. It's uh, at Dallas Soccer Show, and I'll shoot you a link, and you can join the Zoom call with us for a little bit if you want. Um, but until then, we're just going to have a happy hour. Um, Mark, have you been you've been like practicing your vocals in the in the background, keeping your chords all all limber? <laughs> No, I can't say that I've been really doing much of that. Uh, just doing what everybody's doing and trying to uh, keep yourself as busy as possible. I got to say that uh, last night I made the, I, I did a really good job. Jennifer and I both did yesterday here at the house. We didn't watch any news. Um, and then last night we, or 
I, she didn't, she went to sleep and that was smart. I, for whatever reason, decided to go down the wormhole of looking online, which then led me to believe by one o'clock in the morning that we're either careening towards the Great Depression on steroids or everybody's going to get sick to the level of the bubonic plague in England in the Middle Ages. So, uh, you know, it was kind of a dark place to go that deep into it and to see all the various opinions about it. So I, I certainly uh, welcome talking some whatever that is we're going to talk tonight and getting our mind off uh, everything else that's happening in the world. Yeah, I've been suggesting everybody should just start Corona Free Friday, where just every Friday you get up and pretend like there's nothing else going on. You know, no, uh, no, no news. Stay off Twitter, right? Yeah, <laughs> try, to, try, to, try to enjoy life and see, see how it goes. Does make a difference. You just got to click every article that's written by John Arnold and, you know, your esteemed oh. panel, you know, as long as everyone does that, then, you know, I'm down with everything, but Hey, we, we need the, uh, we need the clicks right now too. Not the panic. I understand. I'm not trying to rile anybody up, but you know, if it's right. an article about a historic, you know, Mexican team in the Libertadores or something, yeah, go ahead and give that one a click on your, even on your Fridays. I think that's a good plan. <laughs> what have you been up to, John? No, well, listen, I, I picked the world's worst time to quit my job. Um, so uh, if you guys haven't, don't follow me on, on Twitter or social media or whatever. Uh, I quit. I quit my job at Goal. I, I'm, you know, still a writer, still a soccer guy, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I put in a month notice, basically, letting the company know, hey, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to be a full-time freelancer, see how it goes. And uh, it happened to be that my last day was March 16th, which was the first Monday two or three days after the, you know, the NBA suspended and, and all the other major leagues followed suit. So, you know, I knew it was going to be a challenge. I knew I was taking a risk. I didn't realize exactly the size of the risk I was taking, but that said, uh, you know, with the connections I have, you know, it's, it, it is a scary time. It is a worrying time. Look individually, but you know, on, on the whole in the globe, you know, when I, when I asked on Twitter, I made sure to say like, there's more important things going on, right? I'm going to be fine. It's going to be good. But, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I've been emailing editors and and, uh, and and doing some stuff with some people I already have existing relationships with and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, doing the same, like, you know, like Mark says, doing the same thing everybody else has been doing, just uh, trying to catch up on some reading, some Netflix shows, and uh, watching some historic matches. I haven't gotten to as many of those as I'm hoping, but uh, I think we're going to have time, unfortunately. So uh, I've got Netherlands, Czech Republic, Euro 2004 queued up there you uh, go. for tonight, maybe, so... We'll see, we'll, we'll get wild and then, uh, and then, yeah, we'll take it from there. But, but yeah, that's what I've been up to. It's been uh, difficult, honestly, but uh, at the same time, you know, like I said, I, it, I'm going to be fine. I feel good uh, and I'm excited about this step, even though uh, it would be a lot easier to just be pounding out an article a day for goal and, and other than that, put my feet up on the couch. But, uh, but you know, that's not how it went and, and that's fine. I, I, here I am. <laughs> You want to plug your, you want to plug your link real quick. You got a, a, a like a newsletter. Yeah. So I started a newsletter about Concacaf. Right now it's free for everyone. Uh, Going to come out like two or three times a week. Uh, random stuff. Today I focused on just kind of community and how maybe we're lacking that a little bit in the Concacaf world uh, as compared to other regions in in uh, in you know the soccer ecosphere, the world, whatever. And, uh, and also looked into the Trinidad and Tobago scandal that's happening right now. You know, soccer is not going on in CONCACAF, but it seems that scandal never rests in this region. So uh, FIFA came in last week and they said, nope, this, this FA, you're bored, you're done. We're putting in a council called a normalization committee and uh, they're going to run things for up to two years. So 
uh, dove into that a little bit. If that sounds something like something up your alley, uh, I'm not even sure what the link is, but follow me on Twitter, <laughs> Arnold Kama John. I've got the link there. It's called Getting CONCACAF. Uh, that's the name of the newsletter. You could sign up. If, it, it'd be great if you guys can put your email in there. You'll get it in your inbox automatically. That just makes it easier, obviously. It's, it's so easy to miss things. Even now, there's just you know information bombardment. I want to bombard you right in your inbox. So if, if you put your email in there, that's a help. So uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm doing some of my most fun writing right now. And, uh, and it's kind of staying connected to the soccer scene through that. Yeah, I think as a broadcaster, just in general, or you know, anybody covering sports, whether it be sports writer or sports broadcaster, it's kind of a kind of an interesting time, right? A lot of people um, are now work from home. I am myself, right? And but for for most of us, the day job hasn't changed that much, right? But for uh, people in your industry, obviously, um, whether you're writing or trying to cover things, it's 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 very different than it was, uh, um, you know, you know, just two weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also just kind of about kind of figuring out what do people want right now? What do people need right now? And, and you know, the sports, I, 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 you know, people say it's the most unimportant, most important, unimportant thing. And, and I think that's a great description, right? So, you know, we're missing it. We're wishing that sports were happening. But at the same time, we understand that this isn't the most crucial thing right now. I know some newsrooms around the country are switching sports reporters over to the news side to try and help with the mountainous task that they have now trying to tell this story, keep people informed with reliable information. Um, you know, I, I think the morning news is doing some of that, um, making changes to the print product as well. Listen, you know, your sports page isn't going to be as robust, but hopefully we all are smart about this. Hopefully our leaders in place make the right decisions and we get through this sooner rather than later. So we are back to, you know, your, your, your sports page, you know, and love here and follow on the broadcast and, and enjoy and Luca, you know, it's all that stuff that we yep we do care about even though it's not important but but right now it's just about figuring out sort of what do people need to know and and what do people want to kind of be distracted with in those moments where we are so desperately seeking distractions maybe like never before you know if i if i may i would like to follow up to something that john said and i think that uh, the region that john covers in concacaf you know, there's kind of like listening to what John had to say, there's kind of an interesting tie-in, kind of an interesting twist in terms of what soccer is and some areas of CONCACAF and what we're all going through right now. I've had the pleasure of doing a couple of Gold Cups and I've done women's CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers and included doing matches involving the reggae girls of Jamaica and Martinique and the Caribbean islands. Uh, I thought one of the great stories that Warren Barton and I got to cover last year in the Gold Cup was Bermuda. And so if there's any, to relate to what John covers in CONCACAF soccer, if there's any uh, region in the world that has national football teams that understand what it's like to have great periods of uncertainty, where is my funding coming from? How can I schedule matches? And this is one of the things that makes CONCACAF Nations League so great because it is going to help these teams kind of have a little bit more stability. But if any, to, to, to relate it to the situation that we're all experiencing in the world right now, if any group of individuals understand what it's like to go dark for a period of time, to have uncertainty, to not know what's around the bend for the future of their program, a lot of Caribbean island nations, when it comes to their football programs, especially women's football programs, probably experience that, John, a lot in the Caribbean. And so they might have kind of a unique perspective on what seems like something that is so incredibly foreign and so something that we're struggling so much to cope with is sort of... In some weird way, it's, it's almost kind of business as usual for them. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at the Trinidad and Tobago situation I wrote about today. Well, this is a team that their women got sent to U.S., you know, uh, to World Cup qualifying. They didn't have a place to train. They didn't have a place yeah. to stay. They didn't have it's right here in Frisco, eat, right yeah. here in yep. Frisco and, and down the road in Houston as well during that tournament. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. They've had to cope with what does it look like when sports aren't funded? What does it look like when the advertisers simply are not there? What is it? And obviously, you know, I, I'm not for as serious a reach because of mismanagement sure. and because people are routing funds the wrong way, et cetera. Right. And that's why, you know, I'm not so sure who I kind of wrote in the newsletter. Like, I don't know what the, who the good guys are in this situation and this whole turned down Tobago thing. I don't know if there are good guys, right. It seems entirely possible that it's not, but they certainly are used to dealing with this sort of scenario where we're, we're coping with a lot of the questions now where you look at, you know, women's sport in specific in the U S even is saying, you know, we've had funding in the past kind of, now we're really starting to get some momentum. You know, you look at the women winning the World Cup once again. You see them in advertising campaigns. You see people step up. But it is sort of, you know, I read a few articles that kind of said, hey, this will probably be the first thing on the chopping block for a lot of advertisers. And, and what's the future of women's sport? And I think there are some good resources there in, in that region, in the CONCACAF region, where we can say this is what it looks like and this is why we can't let that happen because we need these things to continue to be strong, not just for women in sport, but for our society, right? So uh, it, it's an interesting parallel. And the big news today was, uh, you know, officially having the Olympics be postponed, uh, which obviously impacts people across, you know, all kinds of different sports. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts around me, how that may impact the kind of the Olympic team for the U.S., the, the Olympic soccer team. Well, around here, I mean, you just feel bad. You feel bad for Jason Christ. Uh, a lot of us uh, know him, and you, everybody around here remembers him. You feel terrible for all all of the SC Dallas connections. And I don't know, guys, did they say – I saw something about possibly uh, tweaking the age a little bit. Or is oh, that, that would be interesting. About that? I, I hadn't seen that, but that would be a good way to make sure somebody doesn't miss out on the Olympics because they happen to age out in the one year that, or whatever it gets delayed. Now, all the FC Dallas guys uh, would be okay. Reggie's still only yep. 21, is that correct? Yeah, Reggie's 21, That's yeah, right. and he's the oldest. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. What did you guys think about the, uh, not to change the subject, but uh, that was interesting the other day when Reggie just sort of let it slip, or did he, about uh, the plan was to transfer this summer? I don't know if that's a surprise for anybody that that was what, what he wanted to do. It's, it'd be, it's, it was interesting that he came out and actually said it because that's not, it's not something Reggie normally does, right? Reggie's very much, uh, you know, wants to say, Hey, I'm happy here in Dallas. I'm playing for the club. If things happen, happen, you know, things happen uh, for him to actually come out and say, Hey, this is, you know, this could impact my ability to to move in the summer. That's that, that makes me feel like it was, you know, some pretty serious discussions if he was going to actually come out and say something. I don't think Reggie said much much about it at all. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. I was just going to say I thought that the most in interesting thing, uh, not that came out last week or anything, but that came out was when you look at how FC Dallas structured that deal. I thought it was a smart business from Andre Danota to, to kind of uh, add incentive for the club, but also for the player to sell, mm -hmm. right? Because I think that's a fear of a lot of these guys. Fear might be too strong of a word, but that's something where it has to go through your mind if you know still the very best way to get to the elite level is to move from MLS to Europe. But you're sort of this part of this 
foundation, this, this group of players that, that Dan Hunt says, you know, I want to keep this group around. They're the face of the franchise. We could win trophies with this group. I just thought it was a very sort of interesting way to build the deal to make it happen in a really sort of smart way. I think of doing business, a good compromise, sort of meets you in the middle, right? You know, if we don't sell you by this date, we're going to be paying you a whole lot of money. And, and I think that it's a good signal to players. You know, there's going to be a lot of these in the future. I'm not just talking about, you know, Paxton or Jesus. I'm talking about, you know, you can go on down the line into the academy. The whole idea of FC Dallas is that they're going to be signing these, these kids, honestly. But, you know, I think it does help prevent Weston McKinney situations and that kind of thing. So I thought that was the most interesting thing that came out, Steve. But I think you're going to say something about kind of Reggie's uh, approach to the situation and, and, and what he said recently. Nope. That was it. I was just, uh, I just was making the comment that he hadn't actually said a whole lot about it. Mark, what, Mark, you and Dusty haven't said much here. What, what do you guys think is, uh, where, where's Reggie's preferred destination? Where would he do well? What do you guys think about that? Dustin, I'll let you take it first. Uh, I don't know. Um, I know that there were some, was it, was it either the Netherlands or Belgium? There were some rumors about him going there. One of the two. So like a smaller league, um, and then there, then there was this, the the England rumor of uh, was it Sunderland or something like that. Oh, oh, ah. <laughs> that. Am I getting my rumors straight here? I, I'm not. It's been a while since I've looked them up. Um, you know, um, do I have any idea where you're gonna? I don't. I don't know. No. Uh, where I would think, you? Where do you think? What's where do I level? want him where to go? Like, where, where would he succeed? Where would you want to see him go? Um, I'd say either championship or uh, in England or, um, probably maybe France top flight. You know, when I think about that, I think about, um, you know, where have Americans gone in the past and had some success and, you know, you look at the Netherlands and playing in the area, the Vise and the Netherlands might be uh, certainly an option. Uh, I can't think of too many. I guess Alejandro Badoya played at Nantes in France, and that would be one example I could think of of an American going to Ligue 1 and having a little bit of success. But I can't think of too many Americans going anywhere in France and being terribly successful. The Air Divise in Holland's been the Air Divise in Holland's been a good place. Um, you know, I think the English Championship has been a good place for some some Americans. The 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 question there is always is that league is one of the most difficult in the world from the fact that you just have such a heavy workload. They play, uh, there's 24 teams in a league. You play, you know, you play 23 teams twice. That's a 46 fixture schedule plus uh, League Cup and FA Cup and, and, you know, the other opportunities that come about. That is a grind to play in that particular league. And so that's, uh, that's a lot to ask in terms of club level football. And then obviously the importance of Reggie to the national team along with that. So maybe something where the, where the schedule was a little bit more manageable for him, uh, for anybody for that matter. And I think in terms of what that might mean for uh, how he would play with the national team might be better. And that would be the biggest concern I would have about him playing in the English championship is that's just, uh, you know, I, I know some Americans have done well there. Uh, Eric Lehigh is somebody that jumps to mind that uh, played at Nottingham Forest for a long time. I know he hasn't necessarily had a whole lot of opportunities at the national team level, a handful, but not many, but, but uh, you know, to me, that's, that's, while it is a good league and it is at a pretty good level, that would be one of the drawbacks I would say about Reggie going to the English Championship. Don't you so guys would you say then Bundesliga? Where Bundesliga would be. Is? I love that league. 
I think that yep. I think that's a fantastic league. Uh, it, it also, sorry, Mark. It, it also yeah. his position makes it difficult in some ways because if you're a forward, you can transfer anywhere, and you're gonna, you know, if you score goals, you play. If you're a midfielder, yeah. you know, you can probably play in a couple different roles in the center. You need to have the right fit as well, and and you know, look, people aren't gonna be spending as much money for a right back as they're gonna be spending on a forward or a midfielder, which is another reason I thought it was wise to build those incentives into the deal because it could be very easy for FC Dallas to say, well, actually, we're not interested in selling for only one or two million dollars or whatever the fee is. You know, he could could really blow up. He could increase his value. I don't know what he said. I had a transfer market right now. I'm just throwing those numbers out of out of my head. But you know, the as well as a place. Davis have success there after moving as a winger, becoming a fullback, whatever, you know, over the place. Reggie's not at that level. He's not at that talent, but he is. A, you could see him being as well as his position. Out of frozen. Oh, no, I did. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're losing John. Uh-oh. What's up with the Wi-Fi? <laughs> Too many people at the house streaming Netflix. <laughs> it is a, it is a good point though i think that was one of the concerns when the um that that may have prolonged you know how long they work with reggie on that deal was you know as a right back you're not gonna get or there's very few leagues that are gonna pay top dollar for a right back right mm-hmm. and so unless he wanted to limit his options you know doing that extension with uh with fc dallas would be quite risky so I mean, I agree with John that that's it was a really good balance and a good way, and perhaps it is the the path for those for those future players to show that hey, there's a, there is a way through FC Dallas that you can you can make it up to you know whatever European league, um, and that we're not going to hold you back. I'm just a little a little bit surprised, you guys. Um, yeah, it, talking about Belgium, the Jupiler League would be a uh, sideways step for him. Honestly, at this point, uh, Eric Divisse is fine, except that. Unless you're playing for um, Ajax or PSV. Oh, or, wow, you brought prize. Uh, There's some of the – one of the bigger teams, I, I think the Eredivisie is, is not something that – maybe Reggie's only still sort of weakness in his game, a little bit of – he could probably polish up that one-on-one defending a little bit more. He's not going to do that in, in, the, uh, in the Dutch league where, you know, they're going to want him, you know, that, bombing up the right side. So – uh, the championship is, I think, is fine. Uh, Tim Ream, you know, plays the championship, and he's been a national team back and forth for, <clears throat> for for quite a while. But but the problem is right now, I think Reggie Cannon is a better outside back than Tim Ream. So I'm not even sure that championship might even be a little uh, a little bit low for him. I, I really think that <clears throat> mid-level Bundesliga club, something like that, um, yeah. mid-table Spanish club would be fine. But um, if you look at, you know, I know a, a lot of it is about situation and who a club has and somebody in front of them, they already have a good right back or a good central midfielder or whatever, but Weston McKinney, you know, going right over there and then and, and starting at Schalke, starting at a good Bundesliga team. I think you, you look at that and you say, yeah, I really think uh, Reggie Cannon could go in and start for a mid-level Bundesliga team, assuming they don't have some really great incumbent right back already. I think that would be the optimal scenario to be perfectly honest with you is could, could he land at a good, at a, at a decent Bundesliga team or something like that. If he could do that, then I think all things considered, that would be probably the optimal scenario for Reggie. All right. So we got some comments rolling in from the uh, YouTube uh, channel here. Hi, YouTube. <clears throat> uh, so get your mind correct. Uh, first of all, he says, uh, 
go mark you mean green legend baby um, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, he says he disagrees um Josie was great at AZ Alkmaar and made him well-known not only in the Netherlands, but through Europe. So like, I guess a stair step, like get your foot in the door type scenario. Um, but striker versus RB right back might, may not be the same demand. Well, striker is a great spot for uh, somebody that you heard to say, because they, they don't play much defense. It just, yeah. it's all about, it's all about attack there. So, I'm, but I'm, again, I, I'm not sure. Now, if Reggie Cannon was a lockdown right back, who needed to polish his, uh, his going forward skills. Uh, I, but I think Reggie Cannon is good in possession, passing out of the back. He understands how to do that possession through the midfield. He's a pretty good crosser of the ball. He's gotten better and better at that. So <clears throat> I, I, I just, it, it's a different situation for right back. Steve, do you think there's anything to the concept of that we look at leagues in Europe and say, okay, X number of American players have gone there and had success? And some American players on and tried it there and haven't had success. Do you think there's something to that in terms of a big picture view, or do you think that's more something to be judged on an individual case by case basis? Yeah, it's absolutely individual case by case because we talked about Josie Altador, uh, who did great in, in the year divisé. And <clears throat> remember when he came back to Major League Soccer, uh, everybody thought it was a, everybody laughed about it because you know all of the English soccer snobs said, well, you know the guy couldn't even score at Sunderland. You know he couldn't even score in England. You know. And of course, the Sunderland for a striker, it's a terrible spot because he was up there by himself and all he played was defense at the time and maybe still do. I don't, I don't watch much Sunderland, uh, it, although I have been to the stadium light. It's not a bad place. Um, so it's, it's absolutely individual. Who is uh, who's in front of him at the position? Who is the coach? What, at what point of development is he? Is he okay to, you know, is he, is he Cameron Carter Vickers who can go over there and then kind of uh, stair-step his way up? Uh, or is he, uh, you know, Tyler Adams who needs to go over there and, and he is not going to progress unless he's in a, unless he's playing immediately, assuming he's not hurt or something like that. So it's, it's all about coach, fit, style, what kind of style is best for you, what kind of, uh, what, what kind of uh, style they play. And, uh, and, and then just uh, and after that, you maybe can get into the, the cultural things and how easy is it for you to assimilate it because you don't want to land a Donovan issue where you're up there by yourself in a cold northern Germany land having a miserable time so you have to come back so it, it's all individual in my opinion I think that's a I'm 100% agreeing with Steve but it, it is the system it's what you play you know I, I'm coming to think of a, a very random stint in MLS player Angelino uh, who we saw in the Champions League with RB Leipzig not long ago I think he's very still random. Man City's property or that's not a good way to talk about a player but his rights are still owned by Man City you know, he's a Champions League fullback and he went through PSV after going through New York City FC. Now, the path is is strange and it doesn't have to be linear, right? A lot of times I think we get stuck in this mindset of like, you know, the ideal scenario is player, you know, develops, graduates from the FC Dallas Academy at age 18, puts his, you know, signs on the dotted line or, or, or age 17 or whatever, plays three or four great years. And then he jumps immediately to Ajax or he's so good that he goes straight to to Real Madrid or whatever, right? But there are often paths that don't look like that, that still end in success, that still end in Champions League, that still end in players becoming regular contributors for the national team. All of those things, I think, are stated goals of FC Dallas and of the players that we're talking about. So I absolutely think it depends on fit, right? Angelino, it is random for me to bring him up, but he's a guy who in that PSV system that Philip Koku and later Mark Van Bommel ran, it was just 
do whatever you want, go forward, go forward, go forward, go forward, pair with players, and it worked. I think I'm frozen again. Nope. <laughs> nope. We still got you. Oh, wait. Well, only the video. We can still we can still hear. <laughs> yeah. Audio good, video frozen. It's okay. It's a good pause face. That's right. So, so we talked a lot about Reggie and his impact. Is there anybody else that you guys can think of where this break and play um, has a big impact? You know, for example, some of the other players that were going into uh, the, the Olympics or might be playing for uh, men's national team. I probably has a, it probably has a big impact on Paxton Pomacall, uh, just in terms of it's more time to get fit, more time to get healthy. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything. You're saying a, a, pos- a positive impact? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm certainly open to, I mean, I'm open to somebody debating me on that, uh, but I feel like that there's probably benefit in the fact that he was still being eased into it. So I, I think uh, allowing his body more time to heal and get closer to truly full-on 100% and and then being able to get into a resumption of training and then we'll see where it goes in terms of what sort of workload that he can handle. But I think there's probably, uh, again, I, I'm open to anybody disagreeing with me about that, but I think there actually might be uh, at least a little bit of a ray of a positive aspect of that for him. Yeah, and Paxton, Paxton did say that he was – so I, I actually talked to Paxton Wednesday before um, everything – before that, what was supposed to be the NYFC game. Um, and he was saying that, you know, this for the first time in a long time, he was actually feeling 100%, no soreness, you know, other than just regular soreness after the, after the prior match. Uh, I think he was lo- really looking forward to, I think, getting some more opportunities perhaps even to start in uh, in New York. So um, – but it's – Agreed. It's that 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 balance between fitness, right? And uh, you know, he's he's got plenty of time to work out now, and then game fitness, right? Which is kind of tough to replicate. It's such a tricky injury that you know, growing a ductor hip flexor, and that's what he was dealing with. That you know, we've seen these guys uh, come back, and it, and it still bothers them a little bit. So it doesn't it doesn't hurt my feelings at all that uh, he's got just a little bit more time. Uh, he's not really losing anything because you know nobody's losing anything. Everybody's going to come back. Uh, everybody's you know, off, so to speak. Uh, but don't forget, I mean, uh, Jesus Ferrer was carrying a little bit of an injury. And, uh, of course, Brian Acosta um, would, will be able to get back. So <clears throat> you could reasonably say that uh, when FC Dallas comes back, they're, they're going to be a healthier team. And uh, Lucci's got more lineup choices and choices for the A team than when they, when, than when they broke. I think, Dustin, I have another thought on a player that this might have an interesting impact on, but didn't, it sounded like you had something you wanted to say as well, Dustin. No, I think that um, <clears throat> the uh, player this has a big impact on is Cobra because it puts us closer to the end of the Liga MK's uh, contract period for for uh, for Hara. So there's, there's added pressure for him to perform and be able to keep his position and if there are no Euros then or they're delayed, then he's not gone. So mm-hmm. he's here. He's competing for a position against a new striker that could be coming in, you know, in, in July, which could be the first half of the season still. Well, so, and, and, and okay, so I want to get John's perspective on this because it's interesting you brought up Cobra because the player that I wanted to bring up in terms of impact here is Franco Hara because we don't know how long Liga Emekis is now going to be delayed how much of a season that they're going to try to play. Are they going to try to play a full 17-match clausura, uh, which which one would, would surmise that's probably going to be difficult for them to do. So how much of a league year are they going to play? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know where Pachuca was in their table. 
But rather than getting a Franco Hara in June after a full Apertura and Clausura and possibly playing in the Liguilla as well, they might get a fresher Franco Hara who might not need time to kind of rest his body a little bit before jumping into the rigors of an FC Dallas Major League Soccer season in the middle of a very hot summer. Um, you know, I, I, John probably might have some interesting perspective on what this means for Franco Hara in terms of, of how this could impact his transition to FC Dallas. Well, it also depends on what the contract says, right? Because if the contract says uh, after the Liga Mekki season, then you're going to have to wait for him, right? Or maybe yeah. not. It, it kind of depends on if they try and force it through. But if the contract says in May, you know, May 30th or whatever, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I haven't, you know, certainly that's not my expertise, but it's an interesting thought, right? There are so many of these questions that are going to come up when, Lord willing, we get the ball rolling again. It's going to be really fascinating. I think that, you know, ultimately, Liga Mekis probably is going, you know, we all sat and watched the games was it just last weekend, two weekends ago. It feels like yeah. two years ago, but, you know, they were one of the last weeks to postpone. Mexico's response has not been uh, proactive, let's say. When you look at, like, what AMLO has done, the president, um, when you look at even what the league has done, although the Liga Mekis president, Enrique Bonilla, has coronavirus. So... <laughs> It's difficult to say, but it definitely seems like they want to get going as quickly as possible. There was an owner's teleconference this week. I feel like they will probably try and play sooner than MLS teams want to, but it's all, it's all a guess at this point, right? But it is an interesting dynamic to wonder how is that going to affect when Franco Hara rocks up here in Frisco. And I think Dustin's point of it's affecting Cobra is a really interesting one because I sort of assumed, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm not with the day-to-day anymore I'm with FC Dallas, but I sort of assumed he was going to go try and have an amazing first half of the year, have a fantastic, you know, Euros represent his country, what an experience. And then if I'm FC Dallas and I've got Frank Ojada showing up and I've got, you know, Pepe and Jesus Ferreira in my, you know, in my reserve, if somebody, you know, a Polish team that remembers Cobra from his time there or a Czech team wants to bring him home, I'm saying, cool, have him, right? I'll take the cash and run. But now that doesn't look like it's an option because the Euros aren't for another year. So I think he's a player that this has an enormous uh, effect on when we're talking about the sporting aspect because I sort of figured, and I don't know, I don't know if that was his plan or FC Dallas's plan. Maybe they were going to roll through. I, I don't know. But that was a scenario that I was envisioning as a certain possibility uh, that now is obviously not going to happen. Do any of you agree with the thought that I've had, and I brought this up on the last telecast that we did, Steve, that the reason FC Dallas has implemented a 3-5-2 sum in preseason training and preseason games, and then they went to it in the Montreal game, I believe, if memory serves correct, because it does seem like forever ago, uh, that the idea was that they were not just fiddling around with it for the heck of fiddling around with it, that they were looking at that as something to cope with two things. One, if Reggie Cannon was indeed going to move on and they were going to maybe play with the idea of three in the back. And more accurately, though, and in more bigger picture, the idea of if Cobra continues to score goals at the rate that he scored goals late last year and two in the first two regular season games, we can't set the guy down. But we didn't bring Franco Hara here to sit here and be a sub off the bench. Could this team look at playing with two strikers? And those two strikers, obviously, are Cobra and Franco Hara and playing a system like that. So, yeah, I think you're right, except that maybe that wasn't going to be a full tactical shift to that. Uh, you know, Lucci told us he wanted to be able to make the tactical adjustment into a 3-5-2. Uh, 
And I think you're absolutely right that uh, if Reggie goes and you have two strikers and plus Jesus is better at second striker, it does give them the tactical flexibility to go that way if he wants to. And I don't think Lucci will get too upset with me for saying this, but pretty sure uh, they were going to go to, they would have played three, five, two up in New York when they went up there. So um, uh, yes. So so to your point, I I don't think it was going to be, Hey, we have to go, we have to be a three, five, two team. When Frank O'Hara gets here, it's more that we're going to do more three, five, two. And this is going to, and this is one of the reasons why we're going to do a little bit more of it. That's my well, opinion, but, uh, well, I think the point that if, it, if it's going to be a flexible formation, though, Steve, it is a little bit more difficult for Cobra, I think, to be able to change formations without switching out players, right? Where if you look, someone like Jesus, right? Jesus could easily play in that 8-10 role and then shift up to a secondary striker and you're really not going to miss a beat. You, you can't play the Cobra in midfield, right? So, no, But you can play him as a highest striker. You could, yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's, you, the, that's the role he would he would always be if he was on the field he's going to be the higher striker. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's interesting that you talk about the, the tactical flexibility. I think that he feels a lot more, uh, from what I can tell, it feels like he feels a lot more able to actually do that and do it well this season than he did last season with all the different pieces he's added with uh, Santos and um, and. Papa Pico, um, that he feels like, yeah, I can, I can do whatever, implement whatever I need to at the time in order to to get it done. Where maybe he didn't feel like he had that that flexibility or or even that uh, the, the the pieces to to do those things last season. Uh, no question. Last year, if you remember, <clears throat> Mark, I think you it was you and I on this one. Uh, Philadelphia, you know, they get the lead with the right to Ezekiel free, free kick. Um, they end up blowing that lead at the end, and later he told you, you and I, that yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about going to three in the back, and I was thinking about doing this, and and I didn't do it, I didn't pull the trigger, and he said I learned, I learned a lesson. I asked him uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I, we talked about it, how he went so early this time against Philadelphia um, to that to that alignment, and I said, you know, you told me last year that you, you know, I, I said I was wondering, we had this conversation and. Last year, you, you said you didn't go to it early enough. I was wondering if you were thinking about that as you made that tactical switch. He says, Steve, I was thinking about it all year, how I how I, I messed that one up. And so that was really interesting. So he really dug in on that, that we have to be more tactically flexible. And I want the ability to do that game by game or in a moment's notice during a game. I sure think one thing I've noticed, Steve, and in, in our times of talking to Lucci and then just observing how he has matured as a head coach, manager, whatever you want to call it, from the beginning of last year to, to two games into this season and then whenever we get going again, he's, uh, he's incredibly self-aware and incredibly self-reflective. Um, you know, he's not um, dogmatic, for lack of a better term, in terms of this is my system and this is the way we always must play soccer you know he certainly seems to you know he has ideals and he has ways to play that he's committed to but he also understands that there needs to be some flexibility and there is um you know a learning curve and there is uh you know more than one way to to secure three points as he told us one time last year you know we we want players uh to play a to b to c but sometimes if it makes sense to go a to c then we're okay with them doing that, you know, and, and, it, and it certainly seems like that he's got, uh, you know, uh, an incredible uh, willingness to be self-reflective uh, in terms of those things, like the example you just brought up. 
Yeah, for sure. And he always makes the point that it's, you know, the system is basically the same. It's basically what he's talking about are different flavors of the same tactical ice cream, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I mean, you've got your ice cream and sometimes you put gummy bears in it and sometimes it's chocolate syrup and sometimes it's crushed Butterfinger. So, you know, if you go to, if you go to Cold Stone, I mean, there's a reason they give you all kinds of different little things that you can put in your right. ice cream. That's yeah. right. So, so I really want to know what John's making with all these concoctions he's putting in. My guess is something with mezcal, but, but honestly, you have to run that by Mark Falwell. Otherwise it's not official. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go grab my bottle of mezcal. I'll be right back. Hold on. That is. You're muted. My guy. Still muted. Still muted. It's dark and stormy time. We got a little uh, uh, ginger beer, lime. Uh, I just use lime juice instead of a lime because I don't think I have a fresh one. And, and you're, uh, you're on a beach somewhere. Cheers. You, you use one of those virtual backgrounds of the beach. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I, as you can tell from my freezing stream, I'm not pulling enough in the Zoom to uh, do. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah, That's ready that. to go. <laughs> tried to Craven Cottage, my background, and it, uh, the other boys saw this uh, early. It, did, it didn't work out so well. I, I, so, looked like, I looked like a space monster. So my friend Brian Damaris got this for me. This is, uh, this is called uh, Me, uh, Mezonte, and it's actually from uh, Michoacan. And so I've been, uh, I've been enjoying this one quite a bit recently. This is a good mezcal. Now, mezcal is, is like tequila-style moonshine, right? Um, it's an agave based, uh, but I wouldn't no. call it moonshine. No, it's agave based. Okay. No. All right. All right. We'll see. I'm, I'm incredibly uncultured. And here's my little, uh, my it's little calabria sipping cup. Salute. It's tequila's classier brother. Yes. Classier, smokier, huskier brother, pretty much. It's very smooth. Ricea would be the thing that would be the, uh, agave style moon That's agave plant yeah that would be that would be moonshine and ricea you, you can find it in the states uh it's a very popular drink if you go to jalisco uh or the nayarit area right there yes. north of uh right there north of puerto vallarta you fly into puerto vallarta and you drive right across the border from jalisco to nayarit and if you go to bars there in Bucerías or um Sayulita, um tequila obviously is the most popular thing and I would say that probably Ricea is is right up there in terms. Mescal is hard to find there. Uh, Mescal is a Oaxaca, Michoacan, Durango, places like that. Whereas uh, Jalisco uh, is a tequila, and then it's as much Ricea as it is Mescal in terms of uh, uh, restaurant and bar drink menus. I told you if you had if you have a mezcal drink on this conversation, <laughs> you have to run it by the mezcal master. <laughs> them's, them's the rules, boys. <laughs> so, uh, so for the people watching on the live stream, uh, Steve was asking us this question earlier and let's see if anybody else can, can figure out, uh, what shirt is he wearing? What is on his shirt? So post that in, in the chat and we'll, uh, see who gets a prize. But I, or, said, but oh, I, said, it, I, I said it a while ago, so it's not yeah, really did. official. Did you? I must've yes. been reading the chat. Yeah, he doesn't listen. No, no. Oh. I said it almost in passing. Actually, you had to kind of catch it. So yeah, 
Okay. Well, I mean, he did point to the logo on the shirt and say, yeah, yeah he did. Uh, he did. <laughs> I, I would say it was a little said, bit more than in fact. <laughs> he said, Dustin, look. <laughs> so let's uh let's let's pivot a little bit away from 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 uh fc dallas you guys have been in the industry a, a long time steve how many years yeah like at least 10 yeah right all of them we won't yeah, go more all, than all that. Of them. yeah i like that answer <laughs> I was, uh, I was a cover reporter when I kind of started doing uh, when they assigned me the World Cup in '94. Well, I, mean, I was because because nobody at the paper cared about soccer, and I'd uh, only recently joined the paper, and they were like, "Yeah, sure, you can cover soccer and cover the World Cup and whatever." And they didn't realize it was, was going to be a big deal. That was like '90. I guess that was '92. So that would give. So there's your answer. That that was for your high school paper. You said. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> so, so my question, I guess, is like, you, what's the craziest thing you guys have experienced in your time covering the game? Uh, you know, obviously, nine eleven uh, when Major League Soccer shut down, uh, they they suspended the last part of the season. And then because of the economic impact of it, uh, there was contrition. And, uh, you know, it was a couple of years ago, three, maybe three years ago, maybe four on, on the ESPN Soccer Today show that recently, rest in peace, uh, we, had, we interviewed Dan Hunt. And that's where Dan Hunt first told the story that, well, uh, the league actually folded. You know, a lot of people don't know that. And he, ta- he talked about the, the bankruptcy lawyers being in the room and what have you. And, you know, and then the next day it was his father that rallied uh, Philip Anschutz and said, no, let's, let's, let's keep it going. Let's, 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 <clears throat> let's find a way to keep this thing going. So uh, soccer wise, uh, that's, you know, in, for American soccer, that's, that's gotta be it because I mean, a lot of people, I know a lot of people get uh, frustrated with major league soccer because they, they want it to be bigger and bolder and better and, and go spend and, just release us, it, it, no salary cap and all that. And, you know, and I don't want to be old guy that says, hey, wait a minute here, boy, Sonny, you know, you don't remember back in the day when we had, I don't want to be that guy, but that this is why, because they remember that, that, that building slow, you know, and just, you just kind of keep going forward. You know, you, being the turtle and then instead of the, instead of the, the rabbit sometimes is, is just the way to go. And without MLS, just on that point, without MLS having the big TV contracts that other leagues have really to support it, right? It's, it's a lot more difficult, especially for maybe not a small market team, but, but, but teams like a Dallas or a Houston or a Columbus or whatever, right, that doesn't, don't have a ton of other avenues for revenue. Sure. So, and by the way, obviously, this is the most. This, this is the weirdest time for for all of us in in anything. Yeah, I was going to say. say yeah, that. I, I was wondering if you were going to say other than this, in, like in yeah, ten years. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. You know, it's a weird time that I was covering the Gamekeepers week to week very closely. Uh, is that the refs went on strike, and that that's something that sort of reminded me of this period because it's a, you you don't have games, you don't know what's going to happen, you have to figure out what to do. Um, and, you know, I interviewed a couple of fans who had bought tickets and traveled from the U.S. to different parts of Mexico to, to, to go to the games. And they just weren't happening because of a rep strike, which is obviously sort of a, a much, 
easier to cope with and sort of, you know, you, know, you laugh about it and, and it sends a huge message, obviously, it's the owners and they can fix it, right? We can't fix this. We can't snap our fingers and make something go away. It's going to take time. It's going to take leadership. But that's something where I've thought about that those weeks. I think it was week 10 of the 2016 uh, Clausura in Mexico. Maybe I'm off. But there was, there was a week where it was, yeah, the reps just said, no, uh, we're not going to do it. They didn't show up and, and there was no football. So, you know, that's a time that I've been reminded of in my career reporting on this, but obviously nothing to the magnitude of, of what's happening globally. Uh, and it was weird because like a, a, a Puebla assistant coach who was quite old, had a heart attack on the field and died before the first game that was about to be suspended. So there were all these other like weird elements. So it was quite difficult to keep up with as a reporter from, uh, you know, from, you know, the top left corner of Mexico. I think I was in Tijuana at the time. And I think I was home that weekend in Texas for a while. You know, you're trying to call people in Puebla, you're trying to call people everywhere. So it, it was crazy, but, uh, you know, that's the most similar situation to this that I've dealt with before. But obviously this is a whole different animal. John, I have a kind of a, uh, maybe a bit of an uneducated follow-up question to ask about that. Would there have been any possibility? Uh, I, I don't recall the referee, the referee work stoppage in, in Liga Emekis in, in, in 2016, but would there have been any possibility or any consideration or perhaps labor laws in Mexico wouldn't permit anything like this? But remember uh, replacement referees in the NFL whenever the mm. referees went on strike. And remember, uh, you know, the most famous play of that, the failed Mary um, <laughs> involving Green Bay and Seattle on Monday Night Football. Could, yeah, could yeah, anything yeah. like that have happened? Well, I think the thing in MLS, by the way, too. Go ahead, John. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think the thing was that the referees, you know, were quite organized and quite smart about it because, as I mentioned, that that first game was supposed to be Puebla. I think they might have been playing Veracruz because Veracruz is always involved in, in any Mexican <laughs> show, if you will. Um, may they rest in peace. But uh, <laughs> um, no, but uh, I think that that they said until the very last minute. We might do it, we might not. And then as soon as they said, nope, there was no, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, get a referee, call a referee from a local league at that point. So they waited until the very last moment to strike and, and, and it threw things into, but it only lasted a week, right? Because they were able to come to an accord. And I think had it gone another week, it would have been a replacement ref situation where they, you know, they find guys from the local leagues or what have you. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, kind of well-coordinated from the very last uh, you know, to the very last second. The referee, right, the referee is fascinating. I, I've been, I've spent way too much time with FIFA referees the past year, um, doing random stories and stuff, and it's it's interesting. It's a it's a part of the game that we don't think about very often, and maybe uh, we'll have more time to reflect on that during this stoppage. But, but did you uh, did you cover the the Veracruz Tigres game? Whenever uh, the Veracruz players didn't play, basically for the first no. six months. I, I was at a concert at Deep Ellum Art Company that night and it kind of ruined my night because I, I had to get back after, you know, last note is struck and I couldn't be cheering for an encore. I had to dart back to my place and do a column and do a news story. But, uh, but yeah, I know I, I wasn't, I wasn't in at that time. Hey, can I, am I allowed to ask a question? Yeah. I would Absolutely. like to, I, I would like to know from these two on my left and right, Dustin and Jeff, actually from all of you guys. So what, what would you prefer to see then with Major League Soccer? Uh, empty stadiums for a while, if, the, if that expedited the return, that is, or you don't want to see that, you want to wait till they can, till they can go full, uh, full on. Hmm. I'll, I'll take my answer off the air. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm happy. To, I'm happy. First time caller, long time listener. Yeah. No, look, I'm, I'm happy to jump in and be the first one to answer that question. And I would say that I think that 
the country and the world is craving something so resembling that at least to be able to sit and watch a game, even if the atmosphere was so peculiar because of not playing in front of fans, I think it would represent a step in the right direction. I think that, that, that my, my, my vote would be, um, you know, assuming that you can, that you can be as smart and safe as humanly possible with playing games and, 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 make it a streamlined skeleton crew that's at the arena outside of the players that have to be there, at least if you can play and compete. And I know, look, the fans in the stands and in soccer and basketball, they're such an important part of the event. Um, And that of course would never, ever, ever be a long-term solution, but at least if it could ease us back into some sense of normalcy, I would be, I, I would certainly be okay with it. And I would also be okay. Um, you know, is, is there a way to maybe make it happen in terms of if you're an NBA team playing at a smaller venue, uh, even your own team's practice court, which would look super weird, but it wouldn't be mm-hmm. the, the idea of staging a game in a cavernous 20,000-seat empty arena. Uh, if, you're, if you're an MLS team and you had to play the game maybe at a smaller venue where, um, you know, again, it didn't look so jarring to see so many of those empty seats, I would also be open to that. I think now is the time when – when probably anything and everything would have to be on the table. So I, I would be a proponent of getting back to play as soon as possible, even if it meant, um, you know, you wouldn't have the game revenue, but at least you would have, and, and whatever league that is that starts back up, at least you would have TV revenue. I, I, I agree. That's where I fall as well. And I think another consideration is not only, uh, you know, this isn't as sort of important as you're saying, Mark, and I agree that, oh, it was in a symbol that we're back. It was in a symbol that things are progressing in the right direction. It also just kind of gets us back on the calendar because the later this goes, the more difficulties we'll have with scheduling big events, summer tournaments, whatever they will be, right? And each league has their own challenges. You know, the NBA has to ask themselves, now they don't have the Olympics to worry about, but they say, well, if we end the season in August, we can't start back up again in late September or what have you. So I think there are considerations there as well that are less sort of um, poetic and beautiful, but are still important, right? That, that we want those games to be taking place. So I think this, as soon as possible is better, whether they're fans, you know, obviously better with fans, but I think the reality is that right now it's going to have to be without the other thing is the reality is that everyone who is involved is going to have to be tested because there are so many of these uh, situations where it's asymptomatic spread. And if you have one player or one referee or one anything, then it all goes back down again, right? Because that's just how this virus uh, attacks us. And so we'd have to be very careful with it. But if we can ensure those conditions are in place, then I say, uh, let's try and get back as soon as we can and kind of keep things running as much as we can to give us the hope that in 2021, we'll be back to sports as usual. No, I, I completely agree. I, I would rather see the empty stadium than uh, than nothing at all. Uh, okay. And even if it's at, you know, FC Dallas plays down over at SMU or some someplace smaller where it's not so jarring to watch, that's fine. I mean, let's be honest, we're not too – we're not too unfamiliar with empty seats in the stadium. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy, but I'll be that guy. Um, but you know, and the other cool thing, like let's get some parabolic mics out there and let's, let's, let's be able to hear what the players are saying. I want to see what they're saying when they cover their mouth like this and they're talking to the guy, like let's hear that stuff. I mean, that's a unique opportunity to be able to hear that kind of stuff and maybe pipe in some Vuvuzelas or something. I don't know. Look, I mean, I I think clearly things were trending that way in professional sports. We know that 
there was going to be, I think, a Columbus Crew game was going to be played with, without fans. I believe there was maybe one other Major League Soccer game that was kind of on the docket to be played without fans before the season got suspended the, the day after the NBA suspended the season, March 11th. Uh, we all went to the game uh, that we did, the Mavericks-Denver Nuggets game on March the 11th, fully expecting that the next game we did, March the 14th at home against the Phoenix Suns, would be a game without fans. And then Rudy Gobert tested positive. And that was, you know, that was, if it hadn't been him, it would have been somebody else, presumably. But until patient zero occurred, whomever it was in professional sports, I think all of professional, and for that matter, the NCAA tournament, all of pro sports and, and college sports was headed towards, we're going to play our games without fans in the arenas because, and I, I believe uh, on on Thursday night, March 12th, Golden State was going to do that, as a matter of fact. They were going to do that because there were already public gathering size limitation restrictions that were in place in the Bay Area. And so their game that they were going to play on Thursday night, March 12th, between Golden State and the Brooklyn Nets was already set to be played without fans. So we were on the doorstep of it before Rudy Gobert became professional sports patient zero as far as COVID-19 goes. And I think that, that, that ultimately, if that's the vehicle that allows for restarting things sooner rather than later, I would suspect that most professional sports leagues would be would be amenable to that because, again, it does at least start some level of uh, the recovery, the return to normalcy, and you know, I, I I hate to be this guy, but but obviously this is a this is a significant aspect of things. It starts a revenue stream, and right. and clearly everybody's looking for that. Brother Mark, this thing has uh, moved fast, hasn't it? Because you remember the last thing you and I talked about before we left the press box at the last broadcast was, hey Mark. What do you think? Will the NBA play games in empty arenas? You know, you and I, that was, uh, that was, what was that, March 9th? Uh, March 7th, March 7th. March 7th. Yeah. Okay, so March 7th, uh, there's, yeah. that, there's that big Mark Farlow brain. Um, we, had no, we had zero clue that, you know, uh, within a week's time, it would, it would be shut down, period. Yeah. Much look, less look. Empty, empty arenas and stadiums. Hey, man, you remember when we had that conversation and I said, I, I think what the NBA is doing right now is basically saying, look, we're not going to be like others and be caught without any sort of plan here. So we have a lot of contingency plans in place on how to deal with this. And then plan X or plan Z that far down the line is, OK, if all of the other things don't work, then way down the line, OK, we'll play games without fans. Now, uh, you know, uh, things at such a pace that maybe my estimation of that on that Saturday when I was telling you it was plan X or plan Z, that was probably, uh, well, clearly that was a pretty uh, erroneous statement at that point. But but certainly it's a it's an indication of, of how things can change. And it's a look, it's a it's a great life lesson. Um, you know, we always say this all the time, but I don't know how seriously that we take it, that life can change for any of us in an instant. And in this particular case, you know, I think we always apply it to, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed and not promised for any of us. And we all think about it from the isolated personal sense of I could leave the house and get in the car and, and, you know, and, and something, something unexpected and something tragic could happen. Uh, I don't think we've ever thought about it from a collective standpoint of things could change in an instant for all of us at once. And, and clearly it has. Jonathan, what say you, what do you want, what do you hope they do? Uh, well, I, I, I agree with, with Mark on the, I do think the key thing is the normalcy, the return to that. And I think that just having, you know, the extra kind of lift for people just at home who yeah. are, who are looking for something to change. Right. Um, I think having sports come back 
would be a positive thing. Might even be a positive thing from an MLS, MLS perspective to get some additional viewers. You know, honestly, there's, there's, there's no sports out there right now. Um, anybody looking at Twitter, right? People are talking about watching uh, Aussie rules football and other stuff at two o'clock in the morning. Right. So, um, I mean, there's, there's, there could be that, that side benefit as well. Um, but I do think that, you know, just after nine 11, right. There was a lot of talk about return to normalcy. This is a little bit different situation because, you know, it's not, you know, checking for bombs or weapons and whatever you can't put extra security up to protect yourself from a virus. But I do think that it's important to find a time when you can return to that. And I think staging it might be a good way to do it. So starting with those, uh, th- those empty stadium games and then making a plan to, to play, you know, in front of partials, partial uh, or smaller fields perhaps. And then, you know, the full, the full MLS stadiums might be a, might be a good, a good way forward. And don't think there's not going to be this careful calculation because there's, there's going to be such a mad race for dates for sports dates. Once this thing is over. Once it does. Yep. And, and so there's going to be this calculation of you know, we'd like to be the first, you know, because of baseball will be out there, NBA and whatever, everybody, everybody would love to be the first one to do it. Um, because you'll, you'll get more eyes on, as you just said, uh, then again, there's the balance of, are they going to get criticized because they're doing it too soon? And so uh, there will be a very calc- – uh, I don't think that comes if you're, if, if you're playing in, in front of empty stadiums. I don't think you would get that same criticism if you just said, hey, we're going to open up, right, and everybody come in and watch the game. So I do like think John, there's – Like John said, until the first guy gets it. And, right. Until well, – yeah, yeah. And, and, and if you can get access to those tests, which, you know, that's another controversial issue because we, you know uh, – but like supposedly WrestleMania is going ahead. I, I've never been more excited for WrestleMania right now. It's going to be <laughs> right. in a performance center and it's going to be empty people. And I, I've been to WrestleMania, right. But still when I hear that and it's a weekend and a half week and a half away and I'm like, yeah, I can't wait because it is that sort of longing for something like we're used to. Right. And yeah, sure. If you're used to watching WrestleMania, whatever, even though there's not going to be fans, but again, it's like, if you can test every athlete, if you can make sure that that's not going to happen, then, then you're kind of in the clear. But if you take the risk and say, well, no one's feeling sick. That's where you are opening the right. doors. But I think that all the major leagues in the U.S. are wise enough and well-run enough. Not to say everyone is perfectly run, but I think all of them are, are wise enough and well-run enough from a global standard that no one's going to kind of make that mistake. It will be fascinating, I think, to watch how other leagues come back. Because as I mentioned, I think Mexico's champion at the bit. Uh, Belarus is still playing on. Like, that's not a major one. But, like, it's still weird that, like, you can have this country where they're just like, nah, nothing's happening, everything's fine, right? But right. I think it will be fascinating to kind of see – leaks come back slowly and who makes the decision and who jumps too fast and that kind of thing because it will happen right i really do think it will happen but hopefully the leaks here are smart enough and cautious enough to say as much as we want to be back we have to do it the right way and i think mls actually has the has a bit of an advantage because of the way that they schedule weekly games to be able to actually plan for that and come back have time to do the testing the planning and actually they they can even potentially set up and say we're going to have you know, people come uh, watch the games in a month and still be able to, to, to set things up. And then if they need to make the decision, you know, a week or two ahead of time that no, it's just going to be, you know, an, an empty stadium, they can still do that. And I think that trying to do that with, for example, the NBA with the number of teams and the congestion, the double headers and stuff, stuff like that would be almost impossible. Right. So I think that it'd be a lot more, a lot easier to do that with an MLS than a lot of the other uh, professional sports in the U S. All right. Well, we are getting Dangerously close to time uh, for this happy hour to be uh, actually an hour. Uh, so I want to kick over to YouTube real quick. Uh, Bo Matthews says, uh, 
MLS would blow it up if they were the only sport playing. It, every game would feel like the World Cup. So he agrees with us. Um, and then Tommy asks, uh, okay, so we, do you see any permanent league changes coming as the result of this play suspension, uh, such as a league calendar change? Like if, if we're going to be talking about the changes from having fans or not, like are there any permanent ones happening, do you think? MLS changes. Yeah. NBA NBA is one where I think, you know, and I think this is what Mark is asking, because I think when you look at that as a fan of the league, I say, you know, a lot of the things that they've sounded out, like having a soccer-esque league cup, having, uh, you know, a shortened season and having more additional tournaments running concurrently with the league. That's one where I'm fascinated to see if they experiment. But remember, they're already... I mean, Mark knows better than me, but like two thirds of the way through the season, almost right. Or, or, or something around there. So MLS has sort of the benefit of this coming with only two games in. So it'd be weird. I think to suddenly uh, like do something different to your competition rules. But I think the MLS should probably will probably say the same as long as we can get things going here in the next couple of months. But I'm fascinated to see what other major leagues do that are already kind of in progress because that's pushing the next season back farther and farther and then maybe you can play more games in two quick thoughts on that uh, thought one is that at least from a major league soccer perspective they're probably pretty well equipped because they just basically were until last year playing until december so i think they could jump right back in and if they went for one year back to a calendar that it was uh, that they did in the past and especially because who knows what this is going to mean uh obviously this is this is presumably we know this is the end of the olympics uh, presumably the end of the Euros. So you're not going to have the summer interfere in terms of of club duties and in terms of, uh, you know, that making things more difficult to stretch it out until November or December. So uh, you could get back on a regular mm-hmm. schedule. I think from an NBA perspective, uh, this might signify the great opportunity to experiment with something that we all, I think all of us in the league think would be a great idea, which is move your calendar and not have three months of your season competing with the NFL. Start in mid-December, start Christmas Day, play from Christmas to August instead of October to June, and, and have less competition for your biggest games in the summer, and have and not be going up against uh, you know the, the biggest and most important league uh, that still is managing to draw headlines even in this time, the NFL, because they're still going about their business in terms of an offseason. So if you could move away from competing with the NFL from October to December, and only have a portion, a very small portion of your season competing with a week or two of NFL regular season and NFL playoffs. I think uh, a calendar shift would be great for the NBA. And clearly that's going to have to happen for the 2020-2021 season. And I hope it's more than a one-year experiment. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of wisdom in them looking at something different. Yeah, I think what Tommy's conflicts with arenas with the NHL as well. Yeah, I think what sure. Tommy was asking, uh, I, I think he might be, I, I don't want to uh, put words in his mouth, but he was asking about, will this lead to a permanent change? He might he might be one of the subset of, uh, that little subset of people who are just certain that uh, Major League Soccer needs to go to what is called a world calendar, which is really just, you know, when people say that, what they mean is uh, the Western Europe calendar, because it's not really the world soccer calendar, because a lot of people do play through a lot of other leagues around the world play at different times of the year. But uh, I, I think, I, and I've seen a little bit of this talk on Twitter that, uh, Hey, you know, th- this could be the opportunity. And it's basically what they're saying is it's the opportunity to maybe for them to go to do the thing that I wanted them to do anyway. And uh, the, the other thing I'll say about this year, yes, there's been talk of course about pushing major league soccer MLS kept all the way back to late December, 
And the one issue with that is the CBA requires four weeks time uh, off between the last major league soccer game and the opening of training camps. Now that CBA hasn't been ratified uh, officially by the owners, uh, although it's been agreed upon, so they could possibly tweak that language a little bit, but that's just something to, uh, to consider. Very cool. Um, so we gave John an opportunity earlier in the, in the happy hour to plug his newsletter. Mark, Steve, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Um, let's oh, see. You- yeah, I do. I do have something I'd like to plug. Uh, cool. and, 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 and Steve knows, uh, Steve works and is close with these guys as well. Uh, today on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, I posted on LinkedIn for the first time in my life today, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the TV business, um, if you're, you know, there's, there's obviously announcers that are in front of the camera, but, uh, you know, as I've always said for, for every Mark Falwell that's on camera, there's many, many more people off camera who don't get their names mentioned on the air and their faces on camera who are really important to what we do. Um, so in conjunction with the two play-by-play voices, uh, on the TV side in town, Josh Bogorad from the stars and, uh, Dave Raymond from the Rangers. We've launched a GoFundMe campaign today. Uh, it's on my Twitter. It's on my Facebook uh, and my LinkedIn now, as a matter of fact, as well, um, that we're trying to help raise some money for those guys uh, because it's the gig economy. It's the event economy. And in the vast majority of those cases, if you work in one of the many, many off-camera positions that exist in the television sports production industry, then no games means no paychecks. And, you know, uh, TV production means the people that run cameras, the people that uh, mix audio, the people that build graphics in the truck, uh, the people that make sure that instant replay angles get on the air as soon as they possibly can. Uh, and that's just, that's the tip of the iceberg. For a typical NBA broadcast, there are 35 off-camera positions, uh, thereabouts, give or take a, a handful, depending on on what the budget is for each particular show uh, that, that are involved. So, um, you know, a lot of those guys, look, there's a lot of people in America and a lot of people in the world that are hurting right now. And so asking for something I understand is difficult in this time for those guys, but they mean a lot to me and they mean a lot to what we do in terms of sports television. A lot of those guys work very closely with Steve and I on the FC Dallas broadcast and with myself and Derek and Skin on the, on the Mavs broadcast. So anybody who would be willing to look into to giving what they can, or at least sharing to others. So the message gets out there that, uh, you know, there's over 100 people in Dallas-Fort Worth that look that work full-time in the sports, television, broadcast, freelance industry, and off-camera positions. And and we want to help those guys raise some money for those that, you know, really have some serious needs and that are uh, in need of assistance in this difficult time. And, and, and nobody wants to be in a position ever to have to ask other people for money. But, uh, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd love if anybody would consider helping those out those guys out a little bit. Good on you, Mark Falwell. Nice That's job. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Steve? Uh, anything to plug? No, I have nothing going on. I have, <laughs> I have uh, uh, FC Dallas, uh, an editing contract right now, and then one other small uh, social media contract, and they're all shut down. So uh, uh, when, when Dustin asked me to do this, I just said, well, let me see if I can squeeze you in, but uh, I got to <laughs> say. Uh, <laughs> so we're not going to get another a Steve, D- Steve Davis uh, weekly column on uh, FC Dallas now? Uh, the 25th anniversary? Uh, no, because that's, uh, that's, it's, that's, that's shut down too. Yeah. Can I just say though, I got to tell you guys, I, I enjoyed this. And part of the reason I enjoyed it is it's nice places and, you know, haven't seen a lot of you guys in a while. And right now 
Um, you know, look, there's, I understand, we all understand why we're doing what we're doing, but there's psychological damage to isolation. And it's difficult whenever you're not in your routine and interacting with people in a way that you're used to interacting with people. And so it's good to see you guys. You know, it's nice to see friendly faces and it's nice to talk to you guys. And we could look, we could, I, I, I've noticed myself picking up the phone and calling people rather than when I get a text message from somebody, well, why in the hell am I going to just text them back? Why don't I just call them and talk for five or 10 minutes and see how they're doing or 15 or 20 minutes or whatever it is. So, um, you know, it's nice to see you guys and everything like this is for me anyway, uh, is, is therapeutic to get to see friendly faces and, and people whose company that I enjoy greatly. So Good to cheers see all of you. To, cheers to that. Cheers I, I do that. have I do have some props for uh, for for Steve because Steve did actually agree to come on the podcast before all this happened. So I'd actually <laughs> uh, DM'd a little bit before saying, "Hey, the, the plan was to talk uh, talk about the LAFC game when it was coming up, but uh, obviously now we're talking about very different things." Always happy to talk soccer, man. All right. Well, it's a talking um, sport. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you can uh, you can find us online at DallasSoccerShow.com. Uh, on Twitter is at DallasSoccerShow. I'll put those plugs from everybody into our show notes so you can check that. And uh, until next time, everybody, thanks for listening. Cheers, boys. Salucita, que la buena. Salucita, que la buena.